Um, happy Valentine's Day. I think that's today. So hope everybody finds uh, God's love surrounding us today. Um, of course, I thank the fathers for letting me speak today. Uh, today's gospel comes from John chapter 6. And it's kind of in the middle of the story in John, in the gospel of John, in the gospel of St. John. The gospel of St. John begins in chapter 1, telling us about the eternal logos. And Christ was incarnate in his baptism and choosing the first disciples and come and see. In the second chapter, he, he turns the water into wine and of course his first miracle, uh, the wedding in Cana of Galilee. In the third chapter, we see the discussion with Nicodemus. And we get the famous verse, for God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him may not perish but have everlasting life. In chapter 4, we see the discussion with a Samaritan woman, and we see Christ as the living water. In chapter 5, we see the paralytic man get healed, and we see a little bit of discussion about the Sabbath. And then we get to chapter 6. This is the chapter of today. In chapter 6, Christ feeds the 5,000. He feeds the multitude. And then after he feeds the multitude, people get so excited about him, they actually want to make him king. This is part of the gospel for the veil, uh, for the prayer of the veil that is typically prayed by the monks. And so he just leaves, because they don't know how he left. His disciples went on a boat and crossed the lake, but Christ was not with them. And there was maybe one other boat, but they didn't see Christ leave. And so they look for him on the side where he didn't leave, and they don't find him. So they themselves leave and go to the other side, and finally they find him near Capernaum. And so they ask him a question, they're like, when did you get here? They never saw him leave. They never see him get in a boat. Of course, Christ doesn't need a boat to cross the lake. We all know. Um, and then he tells them, you were looking for me, not because of the miracles, but because you ate the bread. And in here, this gospel actually <clears throat> has a lot of significance in my own life. I dedicated one year in Cleveland, and the first weekend I was there, this gospel was read, and the priest there gave a, a, a very nice sermon on it. And my last sermon in Cleveland actually was on this gospel as well. So this gospel has significance in my own life. Um, and in the first, the first weekend there, the priest asked a very important question on this gospel. And I'll kind of summarize what he said because I, I think he did a, a really wonderful job. He asked, why are we searching for God? These people were searching for Christ for a reason. But it wasn't really the right reason. Why are we searching for God? And there's different categories there. There are people that search for God because they want more bread. That they want good things. There's a notion now, and especially in this country, in the United States, called the prosperity gospel. Where its core is not necessarily bad, but the idea and the focus is kind of problematic at times. Where it seems like it's just, oh yeah, I, I worship God, but I expect Him to keep giving me good things. Well, what happens when good things don't come? We all know the story of Job. And there's a problematic uh, part of it. Of course, God wants to give us everything that we need. Of course, God is a loving Father. In St. James, he said, every good gift and every perfect gift comes from, up from the Father of light. So, of course, God loves us and he wants to give us what we need. But that's not the reason we worship him. That's not the reason we follow him. And if those things don't come, so be it. We still love him and we still follow him. We see this today in the Pauline epistles. In the Pauline epistles, there were some people in the church that were, quote-unquote, following God. But they were really just following their own desires. And St. Paul kind of tells, uh, hey, if we're, some people here judge the people that are outside of the church, but you know what? God will judge them. Maybe judge what's inside. Figure out what's happening inside. What are we doing inside? Are we really following God? 
The second group, so the first group wants more bread. The second group follows God for miracles. Miracles are always entertaining. You know, everybody likes a good magician among all the ages. Uh, this, an example of this was Herod. Herod heard about Christ and how he did all these things. And so when he first, when he saw him during the trial, he's asking for a sign. He's like, hey, do something. But of course, Christ didn't do anything. Actually, in this trial, I don't even think Christ said a single word. He just stood there. He gave him nothing. Some people look at miracles as entertainment. And of course, miracles could be a source of hope and source of encouragement. The Bible is full of miracles. Christ himself did miracles. A lot of the saints did miracles. But miracles are not the focus. Sometimes uh, bookstores carry like a huge amount of miracle books now. And of course, there's miracles for the saints and everything. And the miracles themselves are not bad. But when they become the focus, when they become the reason uh, for our faith, something is problematic there too. The third one. Or fear and obligation. People will follow God because they're scared of Him. Um, there's a good book by Clement of Alexandria in the 3rd century. And he's writing to the Greeks. It's called Exhortation to the Greeks, I believe. And he goes through... The, there's very little Christianity in there. Most of it is actually on the pagan religion. On Zeus and Hercules and Hera and Apollo. And, and he kind of goes... To, like he, Of course, he, he knew the, the Greek philosophy and mythology very well. And so he's going myth, myth by myth and showing them that these gods are not really that great. They're not really the basis for our morality. So why are you worshipping them? And the reason? Because they're scared. In the Greek culture, they didn't worship God because they, the gods because they had a relationship with them. They worshipped them because they were scared. So they, they gave them the sacrifice. They did everything they should. So the gods are powerful. They're going to leave us alone. They're not going to hurt us. Unfortunately, some people bring that thought or mentality into Christianity sometimes. Oh, I'm, I'm going to go to church, I'm going to pray, I'm going to read the Bible, I'm going to do this, so God doesn't get mad at me, so He doesn't hurt me. Of course, that's still not the basis of our relationship. That is not what Christ uh, wants from us. It is not, it's not a relationship of, based on fear like the pagans. The pagans used to get their morality from philosophy and from Plato and Socrates, and, but when they talked about the gods, it was all obligation and sacrifice and, uh, and fear. And so there are people that follow God out of fear. But there's also people that follow Him out of obligation. We see that in the Acts today. Saul of Tarsus. Saul, why are you kicking against the goats? Why are you persecuting me? Saul was following God to the T. Because he was doing it out of obligation. There were barely any love in there. It was just, I'm supposed to do this. People are supposed to follow. They're not follow. I'm going to punish them. I'm going to punish them. And so we see Paul following God simply out of obligation, searching for God because I'm supposed to. There's no really relationship there, but I'm supposed to do this, I'm going to do it. And he instills the fear, and we get to the fear again. He instills the fear in people that don't do that, and we see him persecuting. And of course, Christ in this case is the one that actually looked for him and found him and brought him back to the, the the true path. And finally, there are those who seek God out of love. So we see people that seek God because they want more bread, People that seek God out of miracles, they want entertainment. People that seek God out of fear. People that seek God out of obligation. And then finally, we get those, that group that seeks God out of pure love. A good example here is St. Mary Magdalene. Of course, St. Mary Magdalene did witness miracles. Christ did a miracle with her herself, and he took out seven demons from her. But that was it. She didn't follow him because she wanted more miracles. She didn't read anything else. She didn't follow him because she wanted more bread. She didn't follow him because she needed anything. As a matter of fact, she was one of the group of women that served Christ. Not necessarily asked things from Him. But yet she followed Him. And she followed Him for the simple reason is because she loved Him. Just like the disciples followed Him because they loved Him. Sometimes the relationship with the disciples gets a little questionable. And we see 
um, certain faults, but at the basis of it, there is some love. There is love. And so the group that follows Christ out of love. Of course, the love that we have for God is unconditional love. There's different words for love in Greek, and I'm sure you all know, philo and eros and agapi. The word that the Bible always used to love God is agapi. Some modern Bibles translate agapi as charity, but it works when we're talking about our fellow man, but when we're talking about our love for God, it kind of, that interpretation kind of fails. We can't really do charity with God. But God has unconditional love for us. And so when we follow, when we follow Him, the best way to follow Him is with the unconditional love. In 1 Corinthians, actually, when he talks about love, every word is agapi. He doesn't use any other word for love. Even though the Greek, as I said, there's multiple words for love. He uses agapi every time. Agapi makrothemei, agapi christe, christevite, sorry, and so on. Love is patient, or long-suffering, actually. Love is kind. Christevite is from Christos, which is a word that means kind. Different from the word that that means anointed. But anyway, in Matthew 22:37, also when Christ says, Love the Lord your God from all your heart. He uses agapi. He uses agapi. Agapi says, Kirion ton theon. In holy kikardia. Holy actually is the base word for whole in English. Whole. Love your God. Love the Lord your God from all, from your whole heart. And of course, we know the rest of the verse, your whole uh, soul and your whole mind and your whole being. And of course, St. Luke actually adds your whole uh, strength, all of your strength, all of your might. And so agapi is unconditional. It's not about what he gives us. It's not about the bread that we're looking to get from him. And it's not about the miracles that we're waiting for him. And it's not about fear. And it's not about, there's no conditions. It's not about obligation. It's simply unconditional love. That's, that should be why we're following Christ. Um, of course, in Saint Val- in, on Valentine's Day, it's, it's kind of ties well that we're talking about love. There's a quote by St. Augustine. St. Augustine, of course, a lot of the fathers talked about love, but St. Augustine especially, he gave the, the, the love in the Trinity. He focused on love as um, an image or a type of the Trinity. And he says, love is a Trinity itself. There is the person that loves, the person that is loved, and of course, the love itself in between them. Not a perfect image of the Trinity, obviously, there's, there's no perfect image, but St. Augustine actually said that love itself represents God, because God is love. So love itself, in a way, kind of looks like the Trinity. But there's a good quote about love by St. Augustine, he says this, If nothing was said in praise of love throughout the ages of this epistle, he's talking about Corinthians, obviously. If nothing whatever throughout other ages of scriptures, in this one only thing where we were told by the voice of the Spirit of God, for love is God. Nothing more ought we require. So saying love is God. God is love. Then he keeps going. He says, Now see to act against love is to act against God. Let no man say I sin against man when I do not love my brother. And sin against man is a thing to be taken easily. Only let not sin against God. How do you, sin, how do you not sin against God when you sin against love? So he says, How can you not sin against God when you sin against love? So it says, any act without love, any act that is outside of love, is a sin against God, because we're sinning against love. Any act that is not based on love is in itself an act against God, because we're acting against love. Um, And so, an important question here from that passage, again, is why are we searching for God? 
Why are we searching for God? Um, is it because we want more bread? Is it because we want miracles? Is it out of fear? Is it out of obligation? Or what we're supposed to? Or is it truly out of love? I was talking with a very patient man. Um, he actually passed away recently. But the last time I was talking to him before he passed away, um, he looked at me and he told me this, this quote that I want to leave you with. And he said, the only way to Christ is love. And the only way to love is Christ. The only way to Christ is love. And the only way to love is Christ. The only way to Christ is love. There is no other way. And there is no other uh, motive in the relationship other than love. We love him and he loves us. And that is the basis for our relationship. The glory be God forever and ever. Amen.